1: Maniacs, welcome to the Needless Things Podcast. Welcome to 2014. It's a whole new year here on Needless Things, but what does that mean? It means more of the same old, same old, but more of it. Uh, 15 podcasts in the can for last year. I aim to do 24 this year. That's right, two a month. We'll see how that shakes out. Uh, I'm already on a good start with January here because tonight... I have the human hand grenade, Danny Only. Uh, One of the guys that I was wanting to talk to since before I actually did a podcast. Uh, Interesting dude. Uh, Definitely one of my favorite uh, wrestlers in the indie ranks. A guy that's interesting, a guy that can talk, a guy that can go in the ring. And uh, somebody I've been wanting to interview for a while here. He did one of my 13 questions uh, last year or the year before uh, I think it was the year before, actually, and uh, I wanted more. I wanted more than than just that, which is really how the podcast started in the first place. Is I, I did the thirteen questions over and over again, and I, you know, it's it's not the same as having a conversation. So tonight, on the Needless Things podcast, I have a conversation with the Human Hand Grenade, Danny Only, and it's a good one. It's interesting. We talk about wrestling talk about the past of wrestling we talk about current wrestling a little bit uh, we even get into some conspiracy stuff some weird political stuff yeah that's right I don't do politics and, and I think I, I kind of kept my nose clean so to speak uh, but we did talk about some weird shit I talked about uh, 9/11 a little bit talked about uh, the Boston bombing a little bit. Heavier stuff than I normally get into, but that's what you got to expect when you've got Danny only on the mic. You're gonna get a little more intense, a little more hardcore stuff than maybe what you bargained for. But uh, we had a great conversation. I'm very excited about it. I'm very excited that I did this. I'm very excited about the rest of 2014 uh, because uh, I'll tell you, this is a hell of a start. And the second Needless Things podcast of 2014 is also going to be pretty powerful. But we'll wait until this one is done to say anything about that. For right now, I want to remind you that you can download the Needless Things podcast on iTunes. You can download it on Stitcher. And uh, part of the ESO Network, which is now on a new website, but it's the same old address, esonetwork.com. Go over there and check out the ESO podcast. Check out Earth Station Who, which I am a co-host of, and we talk about Doctor Who all the time. And, of course, you want to check out com. I post five days a week, all the business days, because people are only on the Internet when they're at work uh toys movies music I, I talk about whatever takes my fancy but it's all dork shit all the time but anyway it is time now to sit down and have a word with the human hand grenade danny only start uh, at your beginning I guess how did you first get interested in wrestling is, is this a since you were a kid
0: yeah man um, I tell you know anytime any interview I do or anytime I talk to anybody about it um, this is the only thing wrestling is the only thing that I've ever wanted to do um, you know everything else was a necessity um, you know I, I joined the army when I was 19 um, at the time uh, I was I wouldn't say I was a junkie but you know I was I was a druggie and I was a Trouble, troubled kid, if you will um, So I went to Job Corps And joined the Army And, you know, started making a career For myself in the Army um, And the whole time, I just, I wanted to be a wrestler man. I I bought the wrestling games And watched wrestling, watched pay-per-views uh, Talked about wrestling You know, and I, that's all I wanted to do And uh, the, the first time I ever stepped in a ring Was Late 2001 um, I was stationed in Germany and, um, actually it might've been before I went to Germany. Uh, I think it was home, when I was home on leave from Korea to Germany. Um, but it was at WWA four in Atlanta and Steven Platinum was the uh, trainer there. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, uh, so old Steve Platinum is the first person that ever taught me anything in wrestling. Uh, he taught me how to bump, taught me how to run the ropes. Um, you know, taught me how to take a punch, <laughs> taught me how to take a pedigree, uh, which was funny cause, uh. I took it the wrong way, and and you know, kind of knocked myself out. And he uh, he just kicked the shit out of me and, and kept yelling, Oh, wrestling's fake, is it?" <laughs> uh,
1: so this is while you were in the army.
0: Yeah, this is uh, this was in between. If I'm not mistaken, it's when I was in, uh, in PCS, which is permanent change of station. Um, Usually, people take 30 days of leave in between, and uh, I was in between Korea and Germany. Okay, um, and then I was in Germany from 2001 until 2004. And I think I came home twice during that time. Uh, and both times, uh, I went back up to WWA4. Um, I think the second time, Steve was still there. And the third time, uh, Mr. Hughes had started training there, and, and Steve had parted ways with Frank. Uh, Frank Aldridge, the guy that, that owns WWA4. Uh, I might be a little bit hazy on, on the details. Um, you know, my drinking is no mystery to people. And we, we can talk more about that a little bit later, but... Uh, I, you know, I, I definitely know that Steve was the first person that ever showed me anything, and I want to say he was there the second time, and I know Hughes was there the third time. Um, and then 2004, I was stationed in uh, McDill Air Force Base in Tampa, Florida. And late 2004, I uh, I found Buck Quartermain and Steve Madison, and they uh, they trained me from there.
1: I I think you're maybe a li- how old are you? I think you're a little younger than me. I am 34. Oh. i will be 35 in June. So, not too much. Um, so, you, when you went in, you had art, you, uh, you watched as a kid, obviously. Yeah. Who, who were your heroes when you were a kid?
0: Uh, when I was a kid, I liked all the good guys. Um, I, I was a real, I was a pussy growing up. I mean, that's, there's no other way to put it. Um, my brother was 12 years older than me. And, you know, so uh, he joined the army at 18. So, by the time I was six, he was already gone away in the army. Uh, my dad left when I was two. Um, so I was raised by my mom and I was, I was a mama's boy. Um, I was afraid of fighting. Uh, I was afraid of getting beat up. I was afraid of bullies. Um, I I was just, I was a great big pussy and I didn't like the bad guys in wrestling because they just, they represented everybody that had picked on me and I didn't like. So the good guys, um, I was a a huge fan of Sting growing up. Um, there's actually a, I think there's a picture somewhere. My mom might still have it of when I went to underground Atlanta, I had, I had Sting's flat top, but you know, I had brown hair. So they spray painted the front of the flat top white and painted my face like Sting. So that was, that was pretty cool. Yeah. There's a photo somewhere. I'm not sure where it it might've got thrown away, but so Sting, um, the road warriors, uh, big fans of Legion of doom. Um, they were just, they were just really cool. I mean, the, the shoulder pads, the whole Mad Max thing was was really neat. Um, uh, fly on Brian Pullman. I I really like fly on Brian. Um, I, I remember, you know, a lot of, you know, wrestlers play these games where we, we drive along and we, we name like the best feuds and, you know, the best heel and blah, blah, sure. blah. Yeah, yeah. You know, anytime we talk about the best feuds, one of my favorite was Sid Vicious and Brian Pillman. Um, just because I, I thought at the time it was done so well because it was such a literal David and Goliath story. And, uh, Pillman, this is before, uh, before the loose cannon thing, this is when he wore the Bengals, you know, uh, trunks. Um, he was just—he was the small guy, and, and he never gave up. And I wanted to be that. I couldn't because you know I was—I was a pussy. But I really liked that. And my mom had a huge crush on Flying Bryan growing up. <laughs> um, and Great Muda—he um, was the only bad guy that I liked because he was just so fucking cool, man. Um, you know, there's still—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm a huge Muda Mark. You know, he's—he's he's definitely number one on my list of all-time favorite wrestlers. Uh, he was just—he was so. Innovative and, and new and cool. I mean, that's just cool is the only way I can describe it. To
1: to this day, Muda, even like, he's one of those guys that has this gimmick. I mean, he's, he's definitely a a gimmick heavy dude, but he's one of the ones that pulls it off regardless of, of like, how you feel about wrestling or how much you think you know about wrestling. Like, Muda blurs that line. Like, he, he makes it very easy to get into things.
0: Yeah, I think I think him and Liger um, in Japan are like are that way, and I think the only person that really personifies that here is probably Undertaker. Yeah, um, Undertaker is you know he's he's the man, and in my opinion, I think in, in Japan Muda is the man. Um, I, I've met a lot you know of, of wrestlers, and I mean, there's obviously a lot of people that I'd love to meet, but. Um, Every single one of them, I would walk up, shake their hand, say hello. Uh, you know, they're, there's, they're people just like me. I don't think I would mark out for anybody except for Muda. I would fucking, I'd absolutely lose my shit if I met Muda.
1: (laughs) That had, that had to be interesting at first though, getting into like when you started training and started kind of meeting people. And I'm sure there's a progression of, of, you know, well, hear some other guys that are training. Okay, here's some guys that have been working for a few years. Was there ever a time where where you were just kind of still in that? Whoa, I'm I'm doing this and I'm meeting these people and this is crazy.
0: Um, yeah, there was a couple. Um, running rolling around the ring with Tatanka was really cool. Um, he was he was working on uh, doing a comeback. Uh, I I can't. I think it was in '04 down in Tampa. Um, but Tatanka, I was actually, I was amazed at how much taller I was than Tatanka because he just, to me, he always looks so big on TV. Um, and I, you know, and and I don't know, let me segue real quick. I don't know, is it just me, but growing up, did the guys in WWF always seem bigger than the guys in WCW? Oh,
1: yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, I don't know if it was television trickery or camera trickery or what, but they just, the, the guys in WWF just, and it could be the same guy, it just, to me, it looked like when Ric Flair went back to WCW, he looked smaller. See, I would always uh,
1: heard that the WCW ring was bigger.
0: I've heard, uh, yeah, I've heard that too. But then I've heard the WWF ring was the same size. They were both twenty really? foot. Huh. So, yeah, I don't know. I know during interviews and stuff like that, Vince McMahon would do you know boxes and stuff like that to make the guys appear taller. But just even just you know the, the I I, I got to say it's like camera tricks or something because I always thought the WWF guys were bigger than WCW, even though I knew that to be. False. Even looking back on old tapes, it just they just seem. I don't bigger. doubt for a um, second
1: that Vince McMahon, you know, ever since he first took over, has employed everything at his disposal, whether it was camera trickery or stand on <clears throat> apple crates or, or whatever the case may be, to make his guys look bigger. bigger like, yeah. I wouldn't doubt for a second that that's like no, one of the first all. classes you go to when you go to WWE or WWE production class.
0: Like yeah. here, it's how to how to, right, how to
1: frame dudes, you know. Yeah,
0: yeah, um, but yeah. So meeting Tatanka, like I was, like I said, I was, I was a head taller than Tatanka, and I'm not really a tall guy. I'm um, maybe six three on a good day, um, but you know that. Um, and then, and then again, there was some really sad things. Um, meeting Bam Bam Bigelow because uh, Bigelow was somebody I really liked growing up too. Even though he was a bad guy, I just he was cool. Um, and meeting Bigelow, you know, Scott Bigelow towards the end was really, really bad off, mm-hmm. man. Um, you know, he, I, I remember I did a show and I got my head split open and he was in the back and he was so fucked up that he didn't remember what stitches were. He just, he was looking at my head and he was like, Oh, that's, that's pretty bad. Uh, you, you should go to the hospital and get those, uh, those, uh, what are they, uh, what do they call those, those, uh, and I said, stitches, he goes, yeah, stitches. And I was like, damn dude. I mean, he, he was just, he was a shell of himself. And uh, I remember I was at work when somebody called me and told me that, that he died. And, you know, I was just like, man, that's that's fucking sad. And, you know, Kurt Henning died when I was in Florida when I was training. And, um, you know, other guys were telling me they were out with him that night. And, and he was just rough, you know, so it's it's kind of sad. Um, but, yeah, And overall, it was cool. Um, I got to wrestle Jake, uh, Jake the Snake in 2002. And I wanted it to be more of a match. Um, but, it, you know, it was just pretty much him. Giving me a headbutt, split me open, shorter and clothesline DDT, um, and he was so fucked up he didn't bring in, he didn't even bring the snake with him. Um, speaking of, so that, that was
1: speaking of ahead. the DDT. Uh, one one mm-hmm. of I, I have a few Danny only moments stored up in in the times that I had, which which <laughs> I haven't, you know, I haven't gotten to see as much independent wrestling as as I want to see in the past several years. My work schedule is fucked up, and it just, you know, I get out when yeah. I get out. But I've I've got a little cachet of Danny Only moments, and one of my one of my favorites uh, was a match a PCW match at the theater, and I'm not I won't say who, but somebody hit a DDT, and a, maybe about a beat passed, and I hear you screaming, DDT is a fucking finish, pin him, pin him, get the fuck over there and yeah. pin him. DDT's a finish and i realized <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and the reason i liked that is uh, cuz you know i've uh, having watched wrestling since uh, i was a kid from the outside you know i i know what i know or whatever and i I've, I've met the guys and i you know i I, yeah, yeah. I know enough to be a dude to watch it but it made me realize like gosh he's right a ddt is a fucking finish like you know in in when you're watching a match and you see a ddt and they don't even attempt to go for a pin that's one of those things that takes you out of it you may not realize yeah. it. You may not be conscious of it, but exactly. it does. Because when somebody gets dropped on their head, the dude that did it should be like, I'm going to take that opportunity.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, they, they interviewed Jake the Snake, and they asked him, what does DDT stand for? And he said, the end. Um, That's it. It's a fucking finish, man. I mean, he there's a well-publicized story about him and Ricky Steamboat where uh, Ricky Steamboat wanted him to DDT him on the outside for effect, and Jake was like, I don't want to do it. And Ricky's like, no, it'll be fine. He goes, no, I'm telling you, Ricky, I'm going to fuck you up. I don't want to do it. And Ricky was like, no, we can do it. We can do it. And you can find the match online. It's not hard to find, but he did. He DDTed him, and he knocked Ricky out and he picked Ricky's dead ass up with a giant egg on his forehead and rolled him in the ring. And that was it. Um, So, and and like, you know, all right, so Randy Orton, probably one of the most famous WWE wrestlers of this generation. I don't know how many times champion. He's got the look. He's got the the voice. You know, he is what Vince McMahon wants Mm -hmm. as a wrestler. But he took the finish and hung the guy's legs on the second rope and made it even more deadly. And it's just a segue. It's just a go-to move for him. I hate that. I mean... I I really do, and I'm not going to – I can't say shit about him because he's a millionaire and he tours the country, and I don't. But it just – to me, my personal opinion, I hate that move Um, because it's – he doesn't even go – it's a segue. And it's – to me, a DDT is a finish. Uh, A pile driver is a finish. Um, You know, it it just – we got into this culture – and don't get me wrong. There are times when it is really awesome to watch somebody kick out of 30 finishers. But when it happens every single show, every single match, it just gets watered down, and it, it gets to the point. It's I always go back to this. When everybody's special, no one is. And I've, I've been guilty of it before, but I've really tried to be conscious since I got back, um, you know, making sure that I'm not in a situation where someone's kicking out of my finish or I'm kicking well, out I of theirs. Not only does um,
1: it get old, but the, the audience builds up a tolerance. And and it's it's mm-hmm. just like with anything else. Uh, well, what's next? Well, what's next? Yeah. You get to the point where well, there is no next. I, you, exactly. you have to you have to control how uh, how things are done and how those finishers are used. And uh, you know I think that's an important thing within a promotion is somebody's got to be there to to keep a hand on. All right, look, we're we're not doing these moves twenty times, and we're also not using them all up before the main event
0: yeah exactly and I, I remember shows where you know people would tell people you know the booker would tell people in the back alright nobody do this um, nobody go to the floor uh, first two matches nobody comes off the top um, and, and it, it all goes back to me um, and what I've been taught and, and let, you know I, let me preface the rest of this interview um, because I know people are going to listen to it and some people are going to agree with me and some people are going to say oh, fucking Danny only's an idiot what does he know and you know what you're probably right but I do know a few things. Um, so let me preface this. I don't know all. Um, if I did, I'd, I'd be on TV uh, every Monday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, making money, and wrestling would be paying my bills. Um, I'd be in much better shape. I'd look a lot better. I'd talk a lot better, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I do know, you know, very basic things. And one of those things is wrestling isn't just hitting cool move after cool move. Um, and I've tried to learn that over time. You need to know how to work. Um, you know, you need to know that I don't have to hit a DDT and then when they kick out, pick them up for a brain buster. And when they kick out, hit them with a power bomb. And then when they kick out, hit them with a tombstone. No, I can do all that and and make it last 15 minutes by doing just two moves. You know, it's telling a story and people have gotten away from that and training has gotten away from that to where there's so many guys popping out today, you know, popping out of the, the indie wrestling pussy that they're just like, well, yeah, DDT, it's, it's, that's one of my moves. That's your fucking finish, dude. The DDT is a finish. You know, if Jake the Snake saw you but hit a DDT and let the guy get up, he would probably kill you. That's just my opinion. I could be wrong, but I'm probably No, I,
1: I would agree with that 100%. And, and the thing is, all of this stuff, regardless of what audience you're in front of and, and how savvy they are, whether they know it or not, they're picking up on this stuff. Whether they know it or not, they're seeing yeah, exactly. a guy doing a 450 outside of the ring in the first match, and it's it's yep. uh, it's making them immune to the effect of the rest of the show. Basically, like it's it's numbing them. Yeah, one of
0: one of the best examples of that that I can think of is CZW. Um, you know, the ultraviolence thing is. CZW's landscape has changed a little bit. They they're still starting to focus a little bit more on wrestling. Um, they still have ultraviolence, killing things, um, but it, it got to the point where even the Philly fans were like, "All right, I've seen someone hit with a weed whacker. I've seen someone put through a glass table. Um, you know what what is next?" And it, it gets to the point. I think Les Thatcher said it. He was like, "You get to the point where the only way you can top it is to fucking kill someone in the ring." That's the only way you're going to top this yeah. is for someone to die yeah. in the ring. And there's been two cha- incidences where someone almost did, um, you know, and it's just so even the, the Philly fans, the hardcore, feral, vicious fans of Philadelphia have been like, all right, we've seen it all. Uh, so now we got to kind of recycle a little bit. And, and they've, you know, their champion now is, is Drew Gulak, who is a friend of mine and is one of the best wrestlers I've seen, who is a wrestler. You know, he knows how to wrestle. Um, so, I, I think they're, you know, even, even CCW start to realize that, you know, what next? Well, you got to kind of start over.
1: Well, and I think uh, another thing from, from an audience perspective, and, and this is coming into uh, may, maybe I'm a little bit of a pussy for this, but I see crazy shit. And while I may enjoy the match and I may enjoy seeing the guy do the spin through the air or whatever, I also can't help in the back of my head but thinking, what the fuck did he just do to his career? How much time did he just take off of his career? Possibly his life. Uh, One one thing that really changed my whole outlook on wrestling, uh, years ago, well, 2006 maybe, TNA had a, a signing thing. And it was... Everybody, it wasn't your typical like meet AJ Styles at the Gainesville Honda dealer or whatever. This was before right. Bound for Glory, and they, they had everybody there, and I'm, I'm not missing that. Uh, Raven yeah. was there. Raven's one of my heroes. Uh, I yep. fucking love Raven, man. So I'm going there, and Kurt Angle was there. Kurt Angle's mm-hmm. signing stuff no, yeah. and shaking so badly, he can't sign stuff. His assistant is having to take his hand and put it on posters or pictures or whatever, and I don't see how the fuck that guy is still wrestling today, but he is, and he's still fucking amazing, but I saw that, and it, it definitely changed a little bit what I wanted out of wrestling
0: yeah um i know there was you know drug uh kurt angle's drug history has, has been well publicized and i i think someone said at a point he was eating 65 soma a day uh i don't even know how that's i don't know how that's physically possible because i've eaten i can handle pills you know back in the day and i you know i, I ate 12 hydros in one day and uh, i was okay but i don't think i could have done much more you know this guy's eating 65 somas a day um So I don't, I don't know. Maybe he was just, uh, fucked up out of his gourd, but I know that I saw him after not seeing him for a couple years. And I was just like, Oh my God, I can't believe how small his arms have gotten. And, uh, somebody was telling me it's because his neck injury was so bad that, you know, he had lost feeling in his arms and he couldn't work his arms, uh, as much. And I'm like, Crap. I mean, it just, it, like, if, look at pictures between like 2002 Kurt Angle and 2010 Kurt Angle. Um, and it's just, it's, it's like two different people, but I mean, he's, he's still going and he's, you know, one of the best ever. Um, but yeah, I I gotta think that too. You know, like what, what has he done at what price, you know, in 10 years from now, is he going to be able to walk? Whether, whether it's, Um, you
1: know, whether it's injury or whether it's addiction because of injury, you know, how, how many, how many moves could he have cut out over the years if, if he hadn't done that, that, and that. You know, how much better shape yeah. would he be in? Stuff like that. And, and that affects my watching of wrestling. And, and I want the storytelling anyway, because I, when I got into old school, uh, NWA stuff, because I, I started off with WWF and then went into WCW in the heyday. Uh, I had a few years yeah. where I didn't watch. And then around the end of 95, I got into WCW. So we're talking, you know, those two are very, very different from the old NWA stuff, (coughs) from old, you know, Magnum TA and Dusty Rhodes and and shit like that. I'd never really seen any of that stuff aside from uh, really late on Sunday mornings. And I don't don't know if you'll remember this or not. Did you grow up in Georgia? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I did. Really late Sunday morning, Saturday night, they used to have this recap show.
0: With Joe Penniceno yes. and Bonnie
1: Blackstone. And it would be yep. all of the like regional stuff, right?
0: Yep. And then an hour of W or an hour at the time was N W A and an hour of W W F. So it was like yeah, I think yeah, it was like it was six crazy. hours.
1: And yeah. I saw yeah, I love that. like those matches every once in a while there, but that was it. And then when I went back and you know, I saw you know what some people call punchy kicky but yeah. it's not. It's two tough motherfuckers. Telling the story of a fight, and yeah. that shit's great, man.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah I, 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 it was really cool. I mean, I like that. Um, and, and you know, people also, the landscape changed. Um, you know, that those days are gone. They're dead. Never going to be that way again. Um, and and uh, you know, but also back then, you know, you had uh, established star versus jobber. For the first seven matches and the main event was established star versus established star, you know, and there's really there's no way you could get away with that formula today because, you know, then it was so predictable and, you know, wrestling's still predictable now. But back then the jobber never won unless it was like one in a thousand times. So you always knew that when Big Van Vader was facing Chris Johnson, (laughs) you knew (laughs) Vader was going to win. You know, and then the main event would be like Sting versus Ric Flair to a time limit draw or something. That formula just can't work anymore. Um, I, I But I, that's I don't an think interesting so
1: anyway. formula uh, because I think one of the things to consider with that is when you do have kind of the same thing going on every time, both guys have got to work. Like if you're doing the same match, you know, the nobody versus fa- or versus no name, both guys have to tell a good story. There, nobody's, yeah. everybody isn't banking on what the fans already know about him.
0: Right, yeah, and I mean, sometimes that was true or sometimes it was just, hey, you, go right. get beat up by Vader. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, actually, it's, it's kind of funny because I was just thinking about that the whole quote-unquote jobber thing, and uh, somebody had posted a match to, uh, earlier today with uh, Chris Benoit versus Buck Quartermate, mm-hmm. you know, one of the guys that trained me. And it, I watched it thinking, okay, this is going to be just a regular job or squash match, but like Buck got a lot of stuff in and it was actually a really good match back and forth. Um, so I don't know. Maybe, maybe they could do that now. You know, I, I don't think Vince ever, ever will, but you know, maybe TNA could do that where, you know, your, your shows are maybe two to three matches are, uh, you know, TNA guys against local good indie talent. And then, you know, your last two matches are two TNA guys against each other. I don't know, but. I mean, I I don't have the answers, but I I just know that 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 jobber mentality is is pretty much dead and gone because, you know, we've got to the point now where, all right, we don't want to see that. We want to see, you know, Rey Mysterio versus Alberto Del Rio for free now instead of waiting for the pay-per-view. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's true. They they made it so that everybody has to be a superstar. Yeah. which, Which is kind of a problem because now, and I'll tell you, I haven't really kept up with the televised stuff for a few months now i just set my dvr to record everything this week because i i i need wrestling yeah but it just wasn't making me happy man but my my issue with wwe for a long time is they would bring somebody in uh well, a good example is paul Burchill. yeah uh i i got into paul Burchill. i liked that guy for for whatever reason yeah i like and him. uh you know, regardless of his pirate gimmick or whatever, you know, no no gimmick, well, very few gimmicks last forever. Right. Uh, and, and I thought, well, I dig this guy. He's, he's got a good, uh, you know, presence about him. He's cool. And as soon as I felt like he started to catch on, he was gone. Yep. Uh, and they do that so much. Kofi Kingston got on an absolute tear a few years ago and, uh, you know, really got behind him. And granted, he's still around. Right. But, he, you know, he got to that point where you're like okay cool we're going to start seeing some stuff out of this guy now and then he just disappeared for a while
0: yeah and now he's he's a upper mid guy yeah you know?
1: and it's they they frustrate me again and again and again with with these guys but you know what let's not talk about WWE let's talk about Danny only some more yeah um, so watching since you were a kid you finally got the opportunity uh, to start training how, how old were you when you started training
0: let me see, I joined the Army at 19 and 99, so 21 was the first time I ever stepped in a ring, and that was 2001.
1: So in the time, did Actually, you...
0: 21, 22, something like that, yeah.
1: Okay. Now, how long was it before you had an actual match? Uh,
0: a long time. Um, like I said, the, the, that one time in 2001 was for 30 days, so it was three, four weeks of training. Uh, then I went to Germany for about a year, came back for another month. Then a year, than a month. Um, so by the time I got to Florida, I had like four months training under my belt that were spaced out over, you know, four years. Right. Um, but I still remembered everything. Like when I, I got down to Florida, um, Steven Buck knew that I knew stuff, but I still was learning. Um, like I knew how to run the ropes. I knew what the bumps were. I knew, you know, the basics. Um, so they just picked up from there. My first match I want to say, and this is another thing. Like, I feel bad about this sometimes because I know people that can tell me the day and of their first match. I don't remember the day. I don't remember the month. I don't even remember the year. It might have been two thousand four. Might have been two thousand five. All I remember it was against the varsity kid, one of the many incarnations, and he beat me with a with a victory roll. But I um, actually no, he beat me with a small package. But um, yeah, my first match. Let me see. I got to Tampa in July of four. I met up with them in, like, September of 04, October, November, December, January. I think March of 05 was my first match. Um, and it was when uh, Steve Madison at the time had a company called EWE, Elite Wrestling Entertainment. And it was on one of the EWE shows. Um, I remember, like, Tom Lawler was there, who, you know, the UFC fighter Tom Lawler. He used to be an indie wrestler in Florida. He was there. Uh, the Naturals were there. Chase Steven and Andy Douglas were there. BJ Whitmer was there. Uh, Bruce Santee and Chris Canyon God rest his soul they were uh, involved in a feud um, that was the big thing there and um, yeah that's that was around that time so I want to say March of 2005 if I'm not mistaken how,
1: how did nerves play into it because I mean those are those are some names you know regardless of where you're at like uh, you know Chris Canyon everybody knows Chris Canyon was yeah. that what, um, was, was it a, a nervous thing like oh these guys are here and they're
0: a little watching. bit. You know, a little bit. I just, you know, people were, were ribbing me because it's actually funny. I'm wearing the shorts now that I wore uh, in my first match. Um, they're just, you know, basketball shorts. But I had basketball shorts and a cutoff shirt, and somebody came up to me and said, hey, Homicide wants this gimmick back. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I didn't have gear. I, I, You know, I was a fucking yard at that point, but I was trained, you know. Um, but, uh, nah, you know, I really wasn't nervous meeting those guys because – um, I was, you know, grown. I was 24, 25 years old. And, you know, I, I had a kid and had been in the Army for, you know, five, six years. And I was a man. So, I mean, I wasn't, like, nervous um, around them. Um, everybody was really cool to me, uh, you know. And and that was what I remember a lot is these people didn't know me at all. And nobody was a dick. Um, everybody was really cool. Um, you know, Chase, Chase and Andy were... Quiet but really nice. B.J. Whitmer just sat in the back reading a book, but you know he was cordial to me. Uh, Canyon was really cool to me. You know, everybody was really nice. I was nervous for the match itself just because I didn't know anything, um, and uh, my kid was there, my girlfriend was there, and my best friend was there. Um, so I was, I was nervous, but um, yeah, I, I wasn't like a bundle of nerves. I wasn't a mess. I, I think I handled myself pretty well.
1: It's it's interesting the kind of rudder that having a kid creates for you because I, I find uh, since my son was born like that matters so much that everything else kind of is almost muted yeah yeah it
0: is uh, it's weird because he, you know my son lives with his mother um, you know we're divorced and she lives in Griffin and I live up in Decula so it's an hour and a half away um, so I see him you know I see him pretty often but I don't have him around all the time so it's it's weird and challenging um, as a father because the you know the times that I do have them it's it's having to adapt again yeah. um, you know I, I I don't live my life having to sacrifice everything for him like most people do with their kids. So when I get them I have to constantly tell myself um, you know that he comes first and I try to do the best I can. sometimes I make bad choices, but you know I think overall I do well and uh, it's also just the fact that I want him to to really dig his dad you know it's like when he sees me wrestle, I want him to be like, yeah, that's my dad, you know, and I, I don't, I guess I don't want to fuck it up in front of him.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: So, uh, yeah, he's he, he goes, you know, he goes to a lot of the shows that I'm at and gets to sit in the crowd and watch, and he'll be out running and playing around until my match, and he'll watch me, and then he'll play around some more. But uh, yeah, having a kid is is different than uh, a lot of people, you know, think.
1: Uh, yeah, it's, it's amazing how it changes your perspective in in a way that that maybe before you had a kid, you wouldn't have thought would be good. Yeah. But it turns out it is. It turns out it's, it's amazing actually. Yeah. Cause I, right. I don't, I don't sweat shit, man. Un- unless it's something that's, that affects my ability, you know, to, to be with him or take care of him or whatever. It just doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, it, it was doing the MCW, the Monstrosity Championship Wrestling shows at Six Flags that we did. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I was stoked about that and all, but all I really cared about is the one I knew he was coming to. Right, right. Like that was it. All I just wanted him to see Daddy in the ring. Like, yep. That's I didn't it, it was awesome. I had a great time, but the one he came to was the one that was important.
0: Yeah, that's the one that meant the most.
1: Um, so spent some time in the How how long was it before or or have really have you even to this day been able to wrestle as much as you want to wrestle? Like were able nah. to really devote as much time to it as you wanted
0: to. No, no. Um, I mean, the, the closest I've come was, you know, the past few years of living up here. Uh The job I had before I went to Afghanistan, uh it was real easy for me to take time off um, and leave early if I wanted to. Um, and, you know, I was able to do a lot in the Georgia area. It, it's not been as much as I wanted because... To be 100% honest, as much as I wanted is, yeah, it'd be my career, but I couldn't do that now anyway. Um, you know, my wife, I have a wife and, uh, you know, she wouldn't be too keen on the idea of me be gone six days a week. Um, but for what it is, I'm at the point where, um, and actually since coming back has, has changed that a lot. Um, I'm at the point where I've realized what my priorities are and I love wrestling and I still want to be a wrestler. Uh, for as long as I can, but, uh, wrestling is no longer number one. And I came to that realization, uh, when I had to cancel Season's Beatings. Um, I was really looking forward to Season's Beatings and it was, it was going to be my, it was Anarchy's big show and it was my first big show since coming back. Mm -hmm. Um, but there was a scheduling conflict, um, that, that I, that had taken priority and I had to sit down and think to myself, uh, for a very long time. I uh, it was probably about four hours thinking, okay, if, if I blow this off to go to Susan's beatings, going um, and have a great time, um, I'm gonna see a lot of cool people. Um, you know, it's, it's going to be good, but I'm going to incur the wrath of my wife. And not only that, but I'm really going to hurt her. Um, because she had made these plans before I even came back from Afghanistan. And I just, I, for some reason, neglected to mark it down. um, so I had to think about it, and I I called Bill and, and told him you know that, that there was a scheduling conflict, and if I blew it off, that it could quite possibly uh, be one of the nails in my coffin. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was very understanding, and, and Franklin was as well. And uh, I just I had to think. Um, you know, it goes back to I, I think about when Arnett <clears throat> Arnett Anderson was in the ring with uh, Dean Malenko and Chris Benoit when they were re- rebuilding the Four Horsemen. Yeah. And Arn Anderson was talking about how wrestling is. And he was like, you know, my son had an iron fall on his foot and melt halfway through his foot. And I couldn't go to the hospital because I had to make, make a town. And I thought about it and, um, it'd be different if I was in the WWE and the WWE was paying our bills and I had to blow off these plans to make a town, to build an angle to pay our bills for the next few months. Right. Um, not to disrespect indie wrestling, but there's a huge difference between that and putting a giant dent in your marriage um, to wrestle a local indie show. Yeah. Um, I love Anarchy. Anarchy has been my dream since I first started wrestling. Uh, when I was in Germany, I would watch, uh, at the time, Wildside online all the time, and all I wanted was to be in that building, and being in that building is a great feeling, However, eventually that building is going to close or I'm no longer going to wrestle in that building. Um, I am going to be with my wife, hopefully until the day I die. Um, so I had to, I had to prioritize. And, um, you know, it was just, it was one of those things where I realized that I'm probably never going to be in the WWE. I might make it to impact a couple times. Uh, the most I can hope for is to be a successful, whatever that means, Andy wrestler and be respected by my peers. Um, so I had to realize what my priorities were. Um, and, you know, my home life takes priority because that's my life. Um, guys like Corey Hollis and John Skyler and Stephen Walters are in different situations because they are on the cusp of greatness and missing a show because of a family event. Could be very detrimental to their future. Mm-hmm. To me, it ended up not making that big of a difference. Um, I'm sure I'll get shit from it from people. Um, you know, people give me a hard time about it, but ultimately, it doesn't matter because uh, it was the right decision to make.
1: And that's got to be. I mean, uh, that must be something you've struggled with, really, since you you started wrestling.
0: Yeah, there. I mean, there's a lot of there were a lot of things that that I had to blow off that really pissed my wife off and pissed my kid off um, because I had already committed to doing these things. And there were so many times that I've heard, well, can you just stay home? I'm like, no, I can't because I gave my word to somebody that I would be there. Um, and I don't like going back on my word. The season's beatings was only the second show I've ever canceled day of. Um, the first one was a PCW show at Porterdale where I was supposed to wrestle Corey Hollis. And uh, I hurt my back at the gym that morning and I couldn't walk in the afternoon. Um, so I, I had to cancel and then, you know, seasons beatings, uh, I had to cancel the morning of, but you know, wrestling goes on like that. And, and you know, people cancel all the time for various reasons. Um, some are good, some are bad. And I've, I've discovered that even the people who get a reputation for canceling a lot, they're still doing shows. I'm not saying I'm going to get that reputation, but I am taking a very, very active role in my scheduling and, and making sure that me and my wife, if we have things planned, those things take priority. And if someone asks me if I can work, I no, I've got this going on. I can't be there. Um, because uh, it, it's, you know, life. Life is important. Wrestling is important too, but life is more important. Um, I love wrestling, but it's it's not my life. Um, wrestling for whatever, you know, good, bad, or indifferent. A lot of people say that wrestling is their life, and if it's not. You should get out, blah blah whatever. But I just I had to reprioritize and take an, an honest take an honest account, you know, what I was doing.
1: Well, I don't I don't think you can look at anything and and say all all in or not. I, I think, uh, particularly once you hit thirty. Yeah. you you have to be able to say i can give this much of myself to this this much of myself to this i don't think there are a lot of people out there who can genuinely say i'm full bore ahead in yeah. this one thing whether it's a career or a hobby or whatever it may be and really genuinely mean it I, I, right. I just i think that's crazy and it's interesting because you know i i look back on my life and i think well i've always heard things like uh, have a fallback and yeah. I hear have a fallback, and, and I've always believed, whatever, fallbacks are for pussies. Yeah. Uh, if, if you've got a fallback, that means you're not devoted to what you're doing. But, you know, now I kind of feel like, no, you you need to have a fallback because you may try as hard as you possibly can to do something. That doesn't mean you're going to succeed.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, even, even pro sports players, you know, the, the wise old sports players will tell the young ones, finish your fucking school get get your degree get your education because even if you do make it to the NFL your knees ain't going to last more than 20 years right. so after that you, if you're not very good with your money you need to have a fallback plan well, so i mean and they
1: may not last 20 they may last a year exactly. you
0: don't know what the fucks exactly. going to happen out there on the field exactly and you know so you have to have a fallback plan for anything that you do um you know and that's and that's what i did you know i i think a lot of times How different my life would be if I would have gone to a wrestling school instead of going to job corps. And to be honest, I I would not be in the situation I'm in now. I wouldn't have the house I would have. I wouldn't have the cars I have. I wouldn't have my son. I wouldn't have my career. Um I wouldn't have the salary I have now if I would have made that decision. Would I have done more in wrestling? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But I'm not willing to trade that. You know, I'm not I'm not willing to trade a, a chance of getting a tour of Japan two or three times to Living in you know a one bedroom apartment, uh, I'm not willing to trade what I have now for that. You know? Well,
1: and that's the thing is is when you have you know a marketable skill like that, then you do have something. Whereas wrestling, you may be the best wrestler in the world, but if you don't have a certain amount of luck in your path,
0: yeah. it doesn't matter for shit. Exactly, especially now. Like I mean, we we're talking about the jobber days, and you know, back then guys could make a career as a jobber. You can't anymore. You know, there's there's no territories anymore. There's one big company. There's another company that's kind of close to it. Um, and if you're not in one of those, and I think, well, I mean, what is the active roster in WWE? 60, 85 people, if that. Um, you know, so if you're not one of those guys, your chances of getting WWE are slimmer than getting in the NFL. Yeah. You know, so if you're not one of those guys, you're not going to make a living off wrestling. That's very lucrative. I mean, there's guys out there who do make a living off wrestling on the indie level but they're few and far between.
1: Now we've talked a little bit about, uh, since you came back and I know this has been, uh, you, you've probably talked this to death now, but you've, you've been gone, uh, for almost two years, right?
0: No, I left in September of, of 2012. Uh, so I was gone about 14, 15 months.
1: And, uh, you were in Afghanistan. Yeah. And you left because,
0: (laughs) uh, okay. So, um, the company called Beyond Wrestling, um, that has actually caught fire over the past few years. Um, they had an event, um, in, uh, Cleveland, Ohio, uh, that was a co, co-head event with, uh, I think it was St. Louis Anarchy, or, or, yeah, I think it was St. Louis Anarchy. And it was called Double Trouble. And, uh, I was in a four-way match with myself and Strict Nine, the Hate Junkies. Uh, Matthew Justice and Pit Boss against Eric Corvus and Johnny Mangway and I can't remember the other two guys names Um, but they were Beyond Wrestling regulars Uh, we had the match and finished the match and then after the show uh, Eric Corvus was out front talking to all the fans and you know asking them how the show went and all that and uh, I attacked him and tried to stab him in the neck with a corkscrew And he filed charges and there was paperwork from the Cuyahoga County Courthouse in Cleveland, Ohio that was a a subpoena or a summons, if you will, for my appearance for, uh, it was assault with a deadly weapon, um, assault, battery. I think that was it.
1: Now is this an instance of it's a wrestling show, and what the fuck are you doing filing anything about that, or what?
0: That's what I thought. Um, you know, the video was the video was online, and you know there was a scuffle uh, between me and Corvus, and then uh, Johnny Mangue and Drew Gulak, uh, Straight Nine Pit Boss, a couple other people were involved. Um, so. You know, it, it, there was a big scuffle and, and everything. And then, uh, you know, we took off. And to me, it was one of these things where like, you know, why, why did you have to go to Johnny Law? You know, why couldn't you handle it, you know, in the ring or why couldn't you come fight me like a man? His defense is, well, why couldn't you fight me like a man? You had to try to stab me and then you ran. I'm like, well, I ran because, you know, you were trying to get me arrested. So yeah I guess it was one of those things. I don't know what the statute of limitations is now, but uh you know I figured a year was long enough to let the heat die down um and I don't have to worry about any bail bondsmen trying to collect on me. Uh, it's not that big of a deal anymore you know it' was, it was assault, you know it wasn't like I tried to kill him because I even told him I wasn't trying to kill him I just wanted to I just wanted to hurt him a little bit, sure, but um you know yeah I, I guess I don't know I guess the heat kind of died down a little bit, so i I came home
1: and before you got back uh you were starting i i noticed in the social media to to sort of make a statement and i wasn't sure if because I, I hadn't seen a whole lot of political stuff out of you previously and i wasn't sure if it was sort of a preparation for a comeback or if you had just seen some things over there that had really made you decide you needed to talk about some stuff
0: uh kind of 50 50 um I knew that I, I I grew up a lot while I was over there. Um, you know, I was over there, and for all intents and purposes, I was over there alone. Um, I didn't have any of my friends from here over there. Uh, my wife, kid, obviously weren't there. So I was there alone, and I did a lot of growing up. Um, you know, I had a lot of people uh, message me, and, and some said some nice things, and some said some harsh things to me. And it just made me, uh, you know, kind of grow up a little bit and look at at the world around us. And I started realizing that we as a culture, I am embarrassed. Uh, I really am. Um, You know, I I looked at other cultures around the world and, you know, I met with a lot of people, people from India, people from Pakistan, people from Uzbekistan. Uh, I met people who, Literally lived in a village where they had to walk a mile to go get water to drink. And I thought about America and all these freedoms that we take for granted. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, there's nothing wrong with having an iPad and there's nothing wrong with having an iPhone. But what pisses me off is we literally have all this information and all this knowledge literally at our fingertips. Pretty much everybody in the United States has a smartphone. Um, you know, obviously homeless population and the extremely poor exceptions to the rule, but your average U.S. citizen and even illegal has a smartphone where they can literally find the answer to any question they want in 10 seconds, if that long. And we are raising a generation and becoming a generation of fucking idiots and imbeciles. Um, kids today can't find Syria on a map. But they can tell you what Kim and Kanye named their son. Who gives a shit? You know, just because someone is on TV and is rich as fuck does not make them more important than you or anybody else. But people are slowly making that statement false because they are becoming just idiots. And I'm not, I'm not the smartest person in the world. There's a lot of political speak that I just don't understand. People can ask me like, what's your take on Obamacare? And I really don't know which side is right. You know, there's people saying that it's the best thing ever. There's people saying that it's socialist medicine. I know it's not socialist medicine because other countries have socialist medicine and it works out great for them. Um, but I, I just, I know I know enough to know something's wrong. You know, and, and like, Eminem song Berserk, or is it rap God? He says, my question is, are you stupid asses smart enough to know that you're stupid or something like that? He's like, are you smart enough to know that you're stupid? And I am smart enough to know that I'm fucking stupid, that I've got so much to learn. Um, But I, I have a genuine concern for it. You know, I, I see, I might not know the answers, but I know the questions that need to be asked. And my views and my opinions on a lot of things have changed um, you know, I post. I try to post it once a month, but on on the Human Hand Grenade Danny Only Facebook page, which is www.facebook.com/humanhandgrenade. Um, I try to post it once a month. It's that three three to six minute clip from the newsroom um, where they say why is America the greatest country in the world, and then he says it's not. Yeah, it used to be, but it's not. You know, we're 40th in literacy, 15th in math, et cetera, et cetera and we lead the country in three things a uh, number of incarcerated citizens people that believe angels are real and defense spending you know we used to be this great and loving country we used to believe in ourselves we we didn't boast and beat our chest we didn't have to we knew we were the shit and we knew that you don't fuck with america and we knew that we would help you out if we could um we used to be proud and strong and smart and we've just devolved into this generation of idiots
1: well i think it's not even so much uh that, you know there's definitely a level of idiocy there but i think a lack of desire uh, a lack of motivation yeah. because that's a huge thing uh,
0: the, that's that's a huge thing about the, it you know and i you know uh, J- benjamin franklin spoke about you know uh, essentially about welfare and he said that he know, he observed civilizations where things were handed out to him, and poverty reigned supreme because nobody wanted to work harder because they had everything handed to them. He said, but in in contrast to that, in civilizations where no one was given anything, where it was literally fight or die, people, you know, they 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 drove on and they they rose they rose up and they became. Uh, prosperous and wealthy because they knew that they had to do it or that was it. You know, I think about my grandfather. My grandfather worked 65 hours a week in a steel mill in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to put food on the table for my mom and her two sisters and one fetal alcohol syndrome brother and mother. And my granddad was a drunken alcoholic, womanizing ass You know, and that that's terrible, but he worked his ass off because he had to, because if he didn't, his family didn't eat and they died. Mm -hmm. And now there are places around the the world or around the country where it's literally more advantageous to not work and to suck the tit of the government than it is to go get a minimum wage job. And it all starts, you know, it all starts in the crib. It all starts in the cradle. You know, where if you're not teaching your children that they need to get educated uh, and they need to know more, not even necessarily a public school education, because we recently took my son out of public school because I think public school is a fucking joke. Yeah. Um. You know, it, it's not about education. It's about indoctrination and it's about checking the block. Um, so, you know, hopefully next year we can get him enrolled in a private school and, and he'll be better off. But. You know, even even still, if your kid is in public school, he needs to strive and he he need he or she needs to educate themselves and have a trade or a skill or something of benefit because if not, then you get a whole new generation who's regulated to working at Walmart or McDonald's for the rest of their life and then they're pissed because they're not making 15 an hour and then they go on strike and then the economy, you know, just... Like I don't know enough about economics to explain to you exactly how it's going to work, but I just know that people are now getting handouts to the point where why even work when the government will give me all this.
1: Well, and, and there's so many lies at play because there's, there's the college lie, which is you need to go to college for four years and learn to get to, a degree, to, to, to sit at a desk. A yeah. uh, and, and you know what? Sitting at a desk is not producing anything. You need to learn how to produce something. You yeah. need to learn how to make something, how to contribute to something, and, and that doesn't take college. That, yeah. that takes
0: learning a trade, learning a skill. It takes desire, it takes dedication, it takes creativity. it takes the want to do something. And, and you know
1: that's that loss of desire, which, which is also why nobody's informed is because nobody is you know, as you said, we have access to all the news in the world. Any piece of information we might want is there. Yeah. And people don't go for it. They're spoon fed whatever comes out of the TV, whatever comes out yeah. of the radio. Whether and and I'm not I'm not talking sides here. Fox, CNN, all of them are bullshit. But yeah, people just I mean, sit there and get fed whichever sides hate they prefer the taste of.
0: Yeah, yeah it's it's all a steady appetite or a steady meal of, of bullshit. I mean, just I I, I hardly listen to major media news anymore you know i i I get i I find articles online i you read the drudge report uh you know i even bbc oh yeah yeah crooked you know bbc fucking bbc reported that world trade center 7 fell 20 minutes before it actually fell come on that's not and that's not that's not conspiracy theorist nut job talk look it up it's literally true BBC reported that World Trade Center Seven fell 20 minutes before it actually fell. I mean, come on, it's 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 all bullshit, you know. And it's 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 what you're fed to push the latest agenda to become the latest talking point. Me and my wife were just talking about this earlier. She has a history class, and we were talking about uh, you know uh, events that shaped the world. And she asked if there was a school shooting before Columbine. And I said, yeah, if you go to Wikipedia, there's school shootings going all the way back to 1870. But Columbine was the first major media reported school shooting. And it got so much attention that it made Eric Harris and Dylan Claybold into fucking stars. And... Now, every time there's a school shooting, it gets all this additional coverage, and then it comes back to, well, we need gun control. We need gun control to keep these school shootings from happening. We need gun control because of this. We need gun control because of that. And, you know, even Janet Reno said that, uh, you know, waiting waiting lists are the first step, registration is the second step. The ultimate goal is complete prohibition. You know, the, it's, it's not a mystery that the government at work right now wants to take guns away from us, period. And when I was in Afghanistan, I worked with a lot of guys from the UK and a lot of guys from Australia, and all of them said, don't let them take your guns, man. Mm-hmm. Just don't let them do it. Um, and you know, it, we're, we're in a country also where if you talk about things like that, you're a conspiracy theorist nut job because that would never happen to us. Um, you know, don't – oh, you're just being crazy. Our government would never take our guns so that they could rule us uh, under, you know, martial law. Don't be ridiculous. This is 2014. You're being ridiculous. But what they don't think about is if you look back at the Boston bombing, for a very brief period of time, martial law was enacted in Boston. And the SWAT team was going door to door snatching people out of their homes, performing illegal searches and seizures of their homes to find this kid you know, who had detonated a bomb. You know, And there's, there's people who say that it was an inside job. There's people that say that the CIA was involved. I don't know. I'm not going to speculate on that. I do know that what we are told is not the truth. And if it is, it's just the shell of the truth. Um, but I did see the footage of the SWAT team literally pulling people out of their house Knocking on their, banging on their doors, telling them to come out with their hands up, pulling them out of their house to do a search, to do a door by door search, just to find one kid. Now, what's going to happen if, say, the president says, okay, you know, I've enacted this law that says that there can be no more semi automatic weapons in circulation? You have 30 days to turn them in. And then people don't turn them in. And then the police go door to door confiscating guns. People say that can't happen, but during Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans, Orleans, the National Guard was going door-to-door taking weapons away from U.S. citizens. They were literally taking them away, saying, you have to give us your guns, period. The only people that can have guns right now are the police, the military. Why the fuck the police and the military are the only ones that can have it because that kid is a 19, 20, 25 year old kid in a uniform being told to do what he's being told to do. He's no different than anybody else. So why does he have the right to have a weapon and you don't have a right to protect yourself from him? You know, it's just, it, it, it it gets deep and it gets crazy and it's, and what I talk about is is just the tip of the iceberg, you know. And there's guys like Alex Jones who – I think Alex Jones talks about a lot of good things. But honestly, he can come off as a fucking kook sometimes. He really can. Um, but then again, there's guys who are on the total opposite side of that spectrum who honestly believe the 9-11 commission. Everything that is in the 9-11 commission, they believe 100%. Why would our government lie to us? Our government has no reason to lie to us. Our government does have a reason to lie to us. It's money. It all comes down to money, and the people that they put in control are there to push an agenda to make more money for them, period.
1: So with this, all of this is varying levels of fact and and really just reasonable thought. Obviously, there's a really rich tapestry here to take to the ring with you.
0: Yeah, and that, that was the thing that I thought about a lot because... I kind of thought of what I wanted to do when I came back. And then, like I said, I did a lot of growing up, and that's when I realized I'm not coming back and getting signed to a fucking contract to the WWE. It's not going to happen. But I've got 600-something followers on Twitter, and you know I've got you know 500 or so people that like the Danny Only Facebook page, and uh, I'm going to attempt to grow on that. And all I want to do is plant the seed and pe- or plant the bug in people's ear for them to question what they're being told. I'm not saying that they have to believe what I'm believing. I'm not saying that they, they need to, you know, turn into this, oh my God, we got to overthrow the government because I, I am a firm believer that we do need government. I just think we need small government. I don't think we need big government. I, I don't need a federal agency telling me how to live my life. Um, you know, it, it, to me, I think small government's the way to go, but that's neither here nor there. I, I just know that there are. You know, good, bad, or indifferent, there are people who do listen to me. And all I want is for people to ask questions. I want people to question what they're being told. Um, why is it that in the history of modern buildings, only three have fallen, only three skyscrapers have fallen by fire? And those were World Trade Center 1, 2, and 7. Why is it that in the history of the world, only two buildings have fallen by plane crashes, and that was World Trade Center 1 and 2. And 7 wasn't even hit by a plane. It was a skyscraper, a 47-story skyscraper that fell by fire. Come on. Really? Why is that? The 9-11 Commission didn't even talk about World Trade Center 7. And I, I don't want to keep touching on 9-11, but that's just, to me, that's the biggest example of it. Uh, you know, if the official report didn't even talk about World Trade Center 7... And World Trade Center 7 was headlight, or headquarters to all of these agencies. Why Why was it not discussed? Why was that building dropped? Why did that building fall? Why did BBC report it 20 minutes prior? Why in Shanksburg, Pennsylvania, were there no traces of a plane for the first time in recorded history? You know, a plane in Kenya crashed into a fucking mountain at full speed, and they found pieces and bodies all over the place. There was no trace of anything in Shanksburg. But everybody believes that that's what happened because that's what they were told. Well, and I think that's
1: a, a good. Uh, I, I'm not going to go so far as to say that's a noble pursuit, but I I think you've got something good there because, uh, one, if you do get people to think, and you do get people to seek out information and question things, I think that's nothing but a good thing. And two, just for yourself, that's uh, it's a hook, man. If you can, you know people have varying degrees of of willingness to to go down that rabbit hole but i i think that's something that that's it is going to make people think regardless of whether it's about you being a kook or whether it's about my gosh there is more out there i do need to seek out more fact than what i'm fed by what we have available to us here I, i i think that's good stuff man
0: Yeah, and I mean, it's like one of the classic examples. One of the guys I was working with in Afghanistan was an old sergeant major. He's 56 years old. So, you know, he was around during Vietnam. And I asked him what was the country's general reaction to the United States going to Vietnam. And he said that uh, nobody really wanted to go, Um, we didn't want to get involved in Vietnam. And uh, the story was, I'm not going to send young American boys and girls on the other side of the world to handle things that young Vietnamese boys and girls should be taking care of. Uh, and then the Gulf of Tonkin incident happened, and then America was like, no, fuck that. We need to go, because they attacked us. Well, they just found out the Gulf of Tonkin incident wasn't real. It was fake. The entire thing was made up to get us into Vietnam. Um, operation North winds is another thing. The United States government was actually going to shoot down a passenger plane and blame it on Cuba to get us involved in a war with Cuba. And John F. Kennedy said, no, he shot it down. Um, you know, so it's, it's things like that. There's actually, I think it's a cracked article that said it's, it's nine conspiracy theories that totally happened. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, just things like w- with the, the department of treasury poisoning alcohol during the prohibition, um, so people would die from alcohol, uh, so they could push their agenda. Um, you know, just ridiculous things like that. That, that I'm sure at the time, if you would have told somebody, Hey man, that's bullshit, dude. That's jive. That didn't happen. They would say you're a nut. And then now it's like, Oh yeah, well, it was so long ago. And I just wonder, like, what happens in 2030 or 2040 or 2050 when, uh, you know, people say, Hey, you, you know, that whole 911 thing. Yeah, it was it was staged to get us involved in Afghanistan or Iraq. You know, are people going to be outraged or are they going to be uh, just dumb numbed by it I and mean, like, well, it was so long ago, it doesn't or really are they, matter? Anymore. Or
1: are you know by that point they're going to say, well, that's just what the government does.
0: That that's, yeah yeah that's or, is. Or, or or will there even you know will there, or will there even be a government well, at that yeah. point? But I mean, it's like I said, I mean, and this is kind of a corny uh, cliche, but it, it's it's just you know, when I was, when I was an NCO in the army, um, you know, I tried to do the best I could for my, my soldiers and tried to influence them and, and help them out. And I did a great job with a lot of troops. Some I still talk to to this day, you know, who told me, tell me continuously that I was one of their biggest influences in the military. And that, you know, that's a sense of pride to me. But when I became an NCO, Sergeant Major was talking to us and he, told this, you know, old story about a kid walking down the beach and there's millions of starfish laying on the beach and he's picking, picking them up and throwing them in the water. And, uh, you know, this guy walks up to him and says, Hey man, what are you doing? He goes, you can't possibly make a difference. There's millions out here. And he picks one up and he throws it in the water and he goes, I did to that one. You know? And it's like, like I said, if I can, if I can just get people to question what they're being told, uh, I don't know what happened on nine 11. I do know enough to know that what our government told us is not the truth. That's what I know. Um, I don't know if it was an inside job. I don't know if it was planned. I don't know, but I do know that what we were told is in no way true. And that's all I want. I just want people to question that so they don't become docile sheep and, and just fall into the fucking meat grinder. You know, I want, I want people to see and be like, Hey, you know what? This isn't right because our basic rights are being infringed upon. And I just, I want people to, I'm not saying I want people to stand up and storm city hall with rifles or anything, but I, I want people to be aware and, and know, and and I want myself to learn more too. I, I want to be better informed because um, I don't want to be just ignorant to the world, you know?
1: To get back to uh, the wrestling track a little bit, I had the opportunity yeah. to hang out with Strychnine, uh who, who yeah. you mentioned as as part of the, the Corvus incident, for lack of a better term. Uh, and he's a cool dude, man. I I enjoyed just being backstage at MCW, uh, him walking around, uh, shouting Marilyn Manson lyrics and, and, uh, tell, tell me a little bit about you guys' relationship and, and how you met him. And, and I, I know, I know there's an interesting story there.
0: Yeah. Um, um, well, you know, first of all, Strick, Strick is to me, one of the realest dudes I know. Um, he, he doesn't give a fuck what you think about him um he's going to do what he wants to do and hit others opinion of him in no way facilitates who he is as a person take him or leave him that's that's how he is and you know i envy him for that uh, a lot because i'm not everybody can be that way including myself you know i i try not to put too much uh stock into what people think of me but in general i'd like people to like me mm-hmm. you. you know i'm a personable person i don't like conflict Strick doesn't get a shit. You know, he's not an asshole. He's one of the nicest guys I know, and he, he'll be there for me at the drop of a hat if I need him. I could call him right now and say, hey, man, I need you to come over. There's some shit going on, and he'd be here in 20 minutes. Um, so he's, he's one of the nicest guys I know. He's also one of the best fathers I've ever seen in my life. Uh, he He makes me want to be a better father because I've literally seen him – be up for 36 plus hours and then be driving at home and his daughter be just a crazy rambunctious little girl in the back seat, and him just look back and be like, Brianna, I need you to calm down, honey. You know, not raise his voice, not get out of hand. I'm not saying he never has, but you know, most people would lose their shit and just shut up. You know, no, not, not Ben. Uh, he, he doesn't do that. So he's, he's one of the best fathers that I've ever seen. One of the best people I know. Um, we actually got together because I moved up to Georgia in 2004 and I uh, started working APW every Friday night um, because they would take me, you know, and uh, I didn't like him at first and he did not like me. Um, he had a bad reputation and I guess I kind of came off as a prick at first, but we did not like each other and they put us in a tag team because we were we were standing in line taking promo pictures and Jeremy Vane saw us two together and he goes, hey you two come over here and take a picture he goes y'all two look alike and you know we both had on black or whatever and he put us together and then um dan wilson was actually the one that came up with the name the hate junkies because uh you know Gigi allen and the murder junkies was you know a big disgusting punk band and i had hated tattooed across my chest and i remember dan's words you know he was i can't do his voice strict can do it real well but Dan was just like, brother, you got to hate on your chest. That's fucking real as shit. And he was like, you guys are the hate junkies. And, uh, it just started from there. You know, we, we started, uh, <laughs> we had this reputation for probably our first two years that we just beat up black people. Cause every, every feud we <laughs> were in, uh, was at least one black guy. It was like, it was sugar Dunkerton and Bo Newsome at first. And then, uh, Jacoby Boykins and somebody else. And then we just, we were the guys that beat up black people. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was, it was fun. Um, but, you know, we, we teamed together in APW for two years, I think, or a year and a half before we got called up to Anarchy. And we got called up to Anarchy and had a feud with the New Wave and ended up uh, taking the titles from the New Wave. And then we had a feud with Youth Gone Wild, and I think we lost the titles to Youth Gone Wild. Um, but we stayed around as mainstays. Um, I got injured and was out for a while. Then I came back and broke my arm and was out for another little longer and, uh, but we always stayed there and we went from being the most hated tag team in that building at the time to being, in my opinion, in my humble opinion, one of the most over teams in that building. Um, it, it was at the point before I left when our music hit that place, whether it was 50 people or 200 people, that place went fucking nuts. And it was, it was awesome. Um, I really, really liked it. And that's, you know, I said earlier that Anarchy was my dream. That was, that was the main place I wanted to wrestle forever. When I first started, my goal was to get to anarchy and I went from not only starting there, but from being main event on, I think three or four big shows. Um, and you know, that was really, really cool. We did some great stuff, you know, with, with, uh, Don Matthews and Jesco blue with the new wave, uh, with the urban assault squad with, uh, you know, we just, we did a lot of ass kicking in that building. And, um, you know, Strict 9, I, I've been gone for 14 months, and Strict 9's been carrying on just the same, both at APW and Anarchy. Um, you know, and and we had a discussion at APW. I came back, and uh, we had a match, and then he uh, he uh addressed the crowd, and he said, well, I guess the hate junkies are back, and tag teams better be careful. And I said, no, 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 hold on. You know, I just let him know. I said, hey, a couple of years ago, you know, I went my way. You, you went yours. You said you wanted to pursue singles gold in APW, and I let you do that. And I came back and helped you when you needed uh, but you, you did a good job and now I want to do that, you know, and, uh, I wanted to taste singles gold on my own. So APW, we're not the hate junkies at APW. Um, yeah, there's no bad blood there or anything. It's just he's doing his yeah. thing, I'm doing mine. And yeah, we still got each other's back if needed. Uh, and then, you know, at, at Anarchy, um, you know, we're still doing the tag thing there. And actually, uh, on the 11th, we, uh, were facing the team of Hot Commodity with, uh, Tommy Pinarelli and CD Suave. And, uh, and I, I kind of feel bad for them because they're the first team that's going to get the hate junkies in the ring in, fuck, over 16 months. Because I actually was taken out of Anarchy in July of 2012 uh, in a Hangman's match with the Urban Assault Squad. Um, So I hadn't been in Anarchy since July. And when I was at Anarchy December 14th, uh, it was against Tommy Pinarelli, and it didn't work out very good for him. And I know Strickland's been kicking ass the whole time. He's been there, um, so hot commodity. I, I don't know. I, it's it's, it's going to be a rough night for those two guys. They're both good, but uh, they're they're just going to get the hate junkies with 16 months of bottled up aggression. So it's going to be pretty bad for them. It's it's going to be. Yeah, good. I mean, I look Tommy Pennarelli. You know, he's a solid worker and he, he tries his ass off. And CB Swave has come a long way. You know, he's got a great body, he's got a great build, but. Uh, I we're gonna beat the shit out of those kids, man. I am sorry, it's just that's the way it is. It's got to happen.
1: Now, the first time I ever saw you was at one of the PCW Masquerade shows. Uh, I don't, I couldn't tell you the year, Uh, maybe five years ago, something like that. And you were teaming with Andrew Pendleton the third, Prophets of Doom. Yes, and uh, Wicked Nemesis was managing you guys. And for the first two or three shows I went to, you guys would come out to the ring and talk some shit and then run away. Despite that, or I guess because of that, I was like, who the fuck are these guys? This is interesting. And, I mean, Nemesis on the mic is fantastic. he is. Really good. That guy, I I was – he was probably – what kept me coming back after that first PCW show? Cause at the time, I wasn't familiar with PCW. It was just on a night that I could go right. in a place that I could get right. to. And I wanted rest. Right. And, uh, it, it's just a pain in the fucking ass, yeah. man. And like PCW now is six o'clock Saturday night, which is a terrible time. I want to fucking yeah. go. Terrible time. But, uh, they, they've got a downtown show sometime in February. Yeah, right? February 12th, I
0: think.
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna make that one. I'm. I'm off the next day. I'm off that day. Like there is no, nothing is is interrupting. Oh, me. well, so that that should I'll, be a
0: pretty good show.
1: Yeah, I I actually briefly talked to Stephen Platinum about that. Very excited about that show. Um. So, first time I saw you, it was a while before I saw anything happen in the yeah. room. Finally, uh, you guys wrestled, and I can't remember who you wrestled, but I was like, oh, okay, so these guys have, you know, this manager who's a great fucking Mm -hmm. talker, and then they got in the ring, and they're fucking solid, and then the match ended in some kind of schmaus bullshit, and I was like, really? Fucking, come on! I wanna see these guys actually have a match. Yeah, I think the match was the bullets. Eventually. Uh, yeah, it might've been the bullets, Or, or at least, yeah, you know what, that is what was going on at the time. I think the bullets would come out, and you guys would clear out, and eventually the match happened, and then something interrupted it or, or whatever yeah. it was great stuff don't get me yeah. wrong i am not at all denigrating the quality of the entertainment but it was just like i want to see these guys fucking yeah grow. kept you coming back though um and, and i finally you did and i was like shit okay we've got a fucking great team here and then one night i don't remember if nemesis wasn't there or what if if he had left at that point because there was a time where he was pretty much just gone from pcw yeah uh and you got on the mic and by that time i was already a fan of your ring work like i was like okay that guy saw in the ring he can do some really cool shit he can tell a story but then you got on the mic and cut this promo uh that was just outstanding to the point where because you were you were uh you were not a nice person uh at at that time and it was almost one of those promos where like wow as not a nice person that was almost too good yeah like, like it was one of those things where the crowd was sitting there, like, "Holy fucking shit, that was!" Great. <laughs> and uh, but just over the course of time, I got to see more matches, and and uh, eventually you guys brought in Stricknine, yep. um, and and it was just like those masquerade shows were were fucking magic, dude. dude I love I, those. I, I think it was it was oh me,
0: it was me, Pendleton, Stricknine, Pandora, and Wicked Nemesis. Yeah, and, uh, yeah,
1: Pandora. That's right. Yeah, and she had her whole dude. I've never in all the years I've been watching wrestling since I was a five-year-old kid or whatever, all the shows that I've been to live, um, I've got to give props to Pandora for having the best match on the card, not despite the fact that she's a chick or because or anything like that. Her and Aisha just whoop the fuck. Fuck out yeah, of here. Those other.
0: bitches can go, dude. And I mean, and uh, Pandora's a tough bitch and Aisha I, is too.
1: I, I I can't name another female wrestler that's ever been a draw for yeah. me. Like it's, you know, it's neat and I, I you know, I'm not saying anything negative about female right. wrestling, but it's a different animal yes. than than the guys. Yeah. Um, you know, there's different aspects of that, but dude, I, to, to see Pandora on the card is to go, I want to fucking see her. Yeah, it. she can
0: go. And uh, Nina stepped up a lot, too. Her and Nina Monet are working a lot in UIW. And, uh, you know, Nina stepped up a lot, too. But, yeah, Pandora has... She can go. I mean, you know, people can say whatever they will. I mean, people are going to have good and bad opinions about everybody. But all that aside, I mean, she can, she can go. And uh, she did a lot of good stuff with Aisha.
1: Well, and also there was uh, when... She turned babyface. Uh, it was at one of the Masquerade shows. And you guys came out and whooped the shit out of her. Yeah. yeah. And that was heartbreaking. <laughs> and that was Wait, one was of those that, moments. Wait, was
0: that a Masquerade show or was that at uh, at November eleventh, two 2011 at the Academy Theater? When the Empire took over.
1: No, the, it was one of the Masquerade shows where you guys came out. And now, uh, the November 11th, I know exactly, yeah, yeah, that's uh, the end of that show was fucked up. And I've still got the video. I beat her
0: ass.
1: (laughs) But no, there was a masquerade show where uh, she was in a match, I think it was Aisha again, and you guys came out and tore her ass up, and I've got black and white pictures of it somewhere. Yeah. And it was one of those moments where I got totally caught up. I totally just thought, oh, is that the oh, one? Is that no. the one
0: where I punched Aisha in the face?
1: Yeah, you know what? I think you beat both of them. Yeah,
0: yeah, I remember that. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's I punched right. I Aisha in the mouth. <laughs> but man,
1: those were those were some amazing shows. And I, I, you know, while we're talking about them, I've also got to give credit to uh, to Rick Michaels and uh, the Exotic. Oh man, uh, Simon Sermon. Yeah. And uh, I can't remember who else was with him at the time. Jay Clinton, there yeah, yep, Jay Clinton. Yeah, they uh, that, the,
0: that shit with them and the gorillas was insane. And the
1: gorillas, holy shit! The street fight that they had yep. uh, to this day is still the greatest thing I've ever seen in wrestling. Yeah, they they um, they went,
0: man. I mean, those those guys went at it, and it was such a good dynamic. You know, you got the crowd chanting "Let's go, faggots!" It was it was oh, ridiculously yeah. awesome.
1: Yeah, the, I mean those shows. Do, were, do those stand out? I mean, you you said you dug them, but oh, I mean, man. do those stand out? Uh, yeah, to you? Dude, just...
0: I, the Masquerade shows I really liked because I mean, I went to the Masquerade growing up. You know, I used to see punk yeah. shows there all the time, and uh, you know, just being able to wrestle in the Masquerade was was just awesome. And uh, you know, a lot of my friends that lived in the city could come and check it out, and um, you know, I had two. Uh, you know, outside of the prophets, the doom stuff, just in uh, solo work, I had two really good matches there. Uh, one with uh, Mason, and one with uh, Hayden Young. And I think the one with Hayden Young is probably one of my favorite. Um, you know, I, I, I me and Hayden went at it, and it was rough, and it was brutal, surprisingly rough. But man, it was such a good match, and I just I had so much fun in there with him. Um, and you know, the, the masquerade was just, it was a really fun event, a really fun time, um, all the way, you know, to my, my press conference and, uh, and thong and uh, cowboy boots, <laughs> a la Gigi Allen. Um, you know, it was just, it was a lot of fun. Um, and I, I really wish that they were still going on, uh, or that somebody would start them up again, but I just, I don't think they were, uh, advantageous enough for, for Steve or for the masquerade to keep going, but for what they were, for the time they were, that was probably some of the most fun I've had wrestling in Jordan.
1: That was the weirdest crowd because one one show the place would be fucking packed yep. to the point where it would take you time to get to the bar yep. and then the next show it would seem like there were like fifty people. Yeah, it just
0: I mean and, and a lot of them weren't even wrestling fans. People were just in the area yeah. and like, hey fucking wrestling, you gotta come check this out. And they you know, they didn't care about stories. They just wanted to see people get beat up. And that's cool too. Um, but yeah it was the masquerade crowd was a different crowd. Um, it's, you know, it's the same thing. I, I guess the same thing people are saying about the monstrosity crowd. It's a different crowd. Um, yeah. you know, it's not your typical wrestling crowd. They don't come because the science says wrestling. They come to see monsters masquerade. They just came to see people beat each other up and, uh, it was, it was different, but it was cool to get them involved too. You know, I had, um, you know, our feuds with the bullets and then, you know, the matches I had there, like I was able to get them involved and to care about me as a character, whether they loved me or hated me. They cared, and that was that was really cool to take a non-typical wrestling fan and have them be in any way interested in what I was doing in my stupid little stage. Uh, it was really, it was really cool.
1: Well, and that had to be for all of you guys. That had to be a great learning experience dealing with a different crowd. Like yeah, that.
0: absolutely. I mean, you can't rest on your laurels. Like you know, your smart wrestling crowds will will shit on boring stuff, but they're still going to be involved. If you can take a group of people who don't give a fuck about wrestling and make them care about the match, you know. And I'm not, I'm not saying that I made everybody, but there were definitely people who would come up to me afterwards and be like, "Man, that was pretty awesome." You know. So that that was cool. Um that that was definitely a learning experience and uh, a lot of fun to do, man.
1: Yeah, it was it was interesting for me because I I I'm not going to say I had ever been uninterested in indie wrestling, but it just you know i'd been to shows where it was guys in indie pants yeah. or you know sweatpants or whatever yeah. and it's just like what what the fuck are these guys doing here and those shows opened my eyes a lot it's funny because uh, a few years before that first pcw show that i went to there uh another wrestling company that i cannot remember the name of uh did a wrestling show at the masquerade uh, It was mostly black guys um and uh, urban wrestling, urban wrestling Unit, federation.
0: Yeah, 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 I heard about that. They kind of had a thing going for a while, and then it fizzled out. And I don't know. They put
1: on a fun show, but yeah. it, it, I don't think it ever did another one at the masquerade. No, nah, they they had a couple so. pay per
0: view shows and stuff like that, but it just it didn't take off.
1: So yeah, I was expecting kind of more of the same from the PCW show, and when I went, it's it was this. Well, it's it was what Stephen Platinum does.
0: Yeah, you know, and yeah, he it, it that was, dude, right, man. He he knows wrestling, you know, and and uh you know, it's it's funny to think that the biggest complaint I've hear about him is, "Oh, I hate over the air commentary." That's all people can really say because the shows yeah. are solid, the booking is solid, the stories are good. It it makes people care and crowds may be up, crowds may be down, but his booking makes people give a shit about the product and he takes people that people wouldn't think he could do anything with and books them tremendously. I have no problem in saying that as a singles competitor, he booked me better than anybody ever, you know? And, and I, I'm really thankful for that. You know, he was, he was really a big part of that. Um, But uh, it's just, it's like I said, it's funny that, you know, whenever uh, the the detractors, all they say is, Oh, I hate over the air commentary. I'm like, well, okay, well that's all you got to say about it. Then he's obviously doing something right. So,
1: it's it's interesting because I I still to this day, my first experience with seeing wrestling with no commentary was going to a Nitro in '97 or something I don't know whatever yeah uh, and and being there live and not thinking about the fact that we wouldn't have the commentary right uh, and it was fucking weird man and it didn't feel right to me and for whatever reason because I my my parents were. I'm not going to say they were anti-wrestling, but they were definitely not down with me watching wrestling. Yeah. So I didn't, you know, I didn't go to shows as a kid. I didn't ever get to see it live until you know I was able to take myself to go see it. Right. Uh, and that was that was bizarre to me. So I actually have an appreciation for for when there is commentary like that, and it's jarring to me when there isn't. Like I, I uh, all the PCW shows, obviously. Yeah you know commentary in one form or another right uh but then going and seeing chikara uh with which this was awesome i took my son to see chikara it was uh his his first wrestling show experience yeah and it was awesome but there was no commentary yeah and it was fucking weird again yeah you know it's it's, so i don't i don't know where i feel about it i get people that don't like it because I understand maybe you want to watch the matches, maybe you want to think your own thoughts about the matches or whatever. But for me, I, I like it, you know, as long as they're talented. Right, yeah. Uh, I mean, that's
0: the thing. That The biggest complaint people had is they're like, well, if, if you're doing over-the-air commentary and you're like, oh, so and so sneaking up behind him, why wouldn't he just turn around? Well, I think that was something that Steve was big on is commentate on the match. Talk about the match and what happened, not what is happening. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, don't be out there saying, uh, "Oh, shit, Shane Marks is coming up behind Mason." That's fucking stupid. Everybody can see that. Yeah. But if Mason gets him locked in the Occam's Razor, then he could be like, "He's got him in the Occam's Razor." You know. So I mean, nobody's gonna like everything. So it's 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 just it's whatever. But I mean, it, it works for him, and he's been doing it for years, and it's gonna keep going. And people who don't like it can go somewhere else.
1: Now, what was your what was your first meeting with him?
0: With Steve, Platt. yeah. Uh, well, like I said, the first time I ever stepped in the ring. He was the first person to ever train me.
1: How, but how did you get How did you get hooked up with him? Like, how, how did you end up the training
0: situation? Oh, you mean as far as – You mean uh, – I'm sorry. You said how did I get hooked to him in the training situation? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just – my uh, when I was in Germany, getting ready to come home, I was looking up wrestling schools. And uh, if you look up wrestling school Atlanta, the first one that pops up is WWA4. And my brother-in-law was already going there. Um, and I, uh, I went there one day and, and talked to Frank Aldridge and paid the money and met Steve and Steve was the trainer and he took us through, you know, drills and stuff. And, uh, that was it. That's, that's the first time I met him. And then I can't remember, I can't remember how I met him or how I crossed paths with him again. I know he was doing shows for a while at, um, some club, um, it wasn't Dad's Garage. It was after Dad's Garage, but it was some some club in Atlanta.
1: Was it like the, the dance club or whatever downtown somewhere? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I can't remember what it's called. I know what you're talking
0: about. And uh, it was me and Drew, actually, against the Washington Bullets, against a very young and green Washington Bullets. <laughs> um, and, you know, what? I think we just contacted Steve, and I, I, I asked Steve. It might have been MySpace. It might have been Facebook. I'm not sure. But I, I just said, hey, man, you know, you you got an opening. And he's like, yeah, come down here and do this show and you'll, you'll be working these guys. And, you know, we worked the bullets and we had a really good match, I thought. And, uh, um, yeah, just that's how it went from there. We, we kept in touch. And then when he started running uh, regular shows um, at Academy Theater, is when I first started going reg- a lot to him because that's when I branched off from APW because Academy Theater was running on Fridays. And, at the time, it was, hey, Jeremy Vane, I can go wrestle, you know, 30 minutes down the road for X amount of money or an hour up the road for less. So it's just physics, you know, it's yeah, yeah. math. I'm, I'm going to take this one. And, and at the time, Strick was wanting to do his, his single thing, too. So it worked out, and that's why I started doing the Academy shows and then the Masquerade shows. And I just kept in touch with Steven from there. Um, and. Uh, I haven't been back to PCW since I've been home, but it's just because my schedule is filled up so quickly that I don't have anything open right now. Um, I'm, I'd like to work out, um, you know, maybe double shots, uh, because I know they run, you said they run at six o'clock on Saturdays in Porterdale. Yeah. So maybe I could do Porterdale and then drive out to UIW. I, I, I don't know, but I, you know, I'd like to work out something, uh, because I, I do like working for Steve. Um. I like working for him. I like working PCW. I like the crowd. So I definitely like to get back there. It's just, you know, it's one of those things that will fall in line when it does.
1: That's um, just the whole PCW thing. It's is such a an eye-opener for me, the way everything was done there. Uh, how You were a bad guy, a not very nice guy for a long time there. Yeah. What prompted you to turn around on that? Because it was... It was kind of insane when you did. I, I, I didn't know. I was like, I can't see this guy being nice. <laughs> yeah, how's that going to work out?
0: Yeah, it was. Um, I, had, I think what did it. Um, I was tired of Marty Freeman. Um, he was. <laughs> he was just a. He was a, a babbling dipshit, and you know, he was a, a little a little boy directing all the soldiers in the Empire, and uh, I wasn't getting what i wanted um you know the empire cost me a match after a match after match uh i had a match with phantom that went really well and the empire cost me the finish and i lost the match and then i was told you know it's okay we got you we got you just do what you're told and uh after the match with with phantom um the one i lost uh i uh walked over to him and grabbed him and, and I whispered something in his ear and I'm not going to I'm not gonna tell anybody what I said but I pretty much just uh, uh, imitated to him that he should be ready and uh, then I, I left and then spoke to him again the next week and that's when I came out to the ring and, and started talking about how I was tired of the Empire telling me what to do and it pretty much came down to I'm a grown ass man uh, and I don't like people telling me what to do especially when I don't agree with what they're telling me to do you know, there's there's a way to get me to do what you want, and it's usually by wanting what I want. Um, so me and Phantom were in the ring, and Marty came out and tried to smooth the piece out, and he pretty much told me just go in the back and calm down. And that's when uh, that's when Phantom hit him with the mist, and I tore his head off with a lariat. And that's when I told the Empire that I was done being their little soldier, their linchpin. As uh, Steve Madison or uh, Steve uh, Platinum used to call me, the linchpin of the Empire. Uh, I was tired of being a linchpin. I was tired of being their do boy.
1: Now, what's what's in your head when you're going out for a match or, or when you're going to a show? There, there's got to be a little bit of a difference uh, whether you're going out there as a fan favorite or not, but, I mean, you've, you've got to have generally the same preparedness. What? How do you mentally prepare yourself for going out there and, and not only having the responsibility to entertain people but also having to go out there, watch out for your opponent, but put on an amazing match? And I mean, that's, that's a lot of stuff to, to contain.
0: Yeah, I mean, it is a lot of process, a lot to process. Um, you know, on the way to the building, I, I'm thinking about, you know, what's going on. I'm thinking about what the end goal is, what's going to happen after this show. Uh, what story am I going to try to tell? And honestly, a lot of it is what is the booker going to let me do? Um, because, you know, there are times where I get a lot of input on like, hey, can I do this, this and this? But there's a lot more times where it's you're going to go do this, period. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 thinking, do I even think of this new idea just to have it kiboshed when I get there? Um, you know, uh, and, and Steve was really good on that. Steve, I, I I can tell you probably two ideas that I went to Steve with that he said, no, I don't want to do that. Everything else, he was like, I love it. Do it. And it it worked out and made really, really cool stuff. Um, There's other people who, when I give them ideas, they're just like, just leave me alone. So I've told those people, I'm not giving you any ideas anymore. If you want something from me, solicitate me for an idea. If if not, uh, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut and do what you tell me to. And then they're like, oh, why you got to be that way? I'm like, look, dude. When I give you shit, you shut me down. So, if you want something from me, ask me. If not, I'm just going to show up and do what you want me to do then go home. Yeah. Should be easy. Yeah. Um, so you know, a lot on the way there. I'm I'm wondering what's going to happen, what I'm going to do, uh what story we're going to tell, and then, you know, the few minutes before we go out there, I'm going going over the the major points in my head. I try not to call a whole match. I don't like to because if you call a whole match and you go out there and the crowd shits on the first step, you've still got to do step two, three, and four because that's all you know. Mm-hmm. I like to just establish big, big points, you know, big changing points in the match and then fill in the blanks when we get out there. Um, and then I, I – right before, you know, when my music hits, I kind of kind of zone out and I go in a trance and I just – I think of who I want to be in front of those people. Um, you know, whether – whether they're cheering or booing me it doesn't really change how I act. Honestly, the the hate junkies never changed anything. You know, we didn't change what we did. Uh, it was just who we, who we were doing it to is what changed the fans' opinion of us. Um, so I, I you know, I don't I don't pander to the crowd. I don't go out and slap hands and high five and shake babies and kiss people. You know, it just, I just I just I do my thing. And I go out there and uh, I just I try to make sure that at the end of the night they remember my match for whatever reason. Hopefully not because somebody got hurt, but you know for whatever yeah. reason I want them to remember my match. I don't want it to be a concession stand match, you know. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, uh, let me ask you. I, I don't know if you've seen this or not on Facebook. There there's uh, somebody started up an account under the name Noah Tall.
0: Yeah, it was. It's it's somebody just you know fucking around playing all, playing around you know same thing as with the with I think there's one you know indie wrestling star on Twitter or something like yeah, that yeah. you know it's a parody it's a joke and you know he they added me as a friend and I I didn't accept it because you know I, I don't have time for that shit I, you know it's it's whatever it's funny you know get a laugh get get a get a a, a, a rise out of people but yeah as soon as I saw it. I was just like whatever and actually CB Gibson sent me a, a a snippet like of one of his posts and he was like what the hell kind of nonsense is this and I was like dude it's it's a work <laughs> look at the name and he goes oh yeah I know it all I get it
1: yeah I think so. everybody's kind of figured it out at this point but it it, was, it it there was an amusing couple of weeks there where a lot of people were getting upset yeah it was good times Yeah, people, were,
0: people were so easy to 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 work I mean they just you know, people get upset over the silliest things, and it it honestly doesn't make any difference.
1: So, what can we expect uh, from the the future of
0: Danny Only?
1: What what are your your plans now? Where are you showing up? What are you doing?
0: Well, uh, I I am in the best shape that I've ever been. You know, the year that I was overseas, uh, I was I was working really hard. Um, I the past three weeks have been shitty with with the holidays and all that, but. I've been back at the gym all this week to the point where my entire body is hurting from that. I just got back to the gym feeling, but, uh, I, I'm just honestly, I'm going to do my best and push my hardest and do what I can for as, you know, the little time I got left doing it. Um, Anarchy, APW, uh, UIW, um, there's been talks with Empire wrestling up in Rossville. There's been talks with PCW again. Uh, January seventeenth, Friday, January seventeenth, I believe, I'll be at Resistance Pro in Chicago again. Uh, it'll be really good to get back to those guys because the the Resistance Pro, those guys have been like family to me since I've been gone. Both uh, Gabriel and Jacques Barron, you know, kept in touch with me while I was gone, and and it just it really meant a lot for them to you know check on me and make sure I was doing all right, and you know just to hear them say, "Hey, man, we can't wait to get home and." Um, you know, so that'll be cool uh, to get back there. Um, beyond wrestling, I'm not exactly sure when, but I I am welcome back to Beyond with open arms, uh despite what happened there. Um, you know, I I guess they see something in me, so Beyond will will also be on the schedule. Um and and pretty much, you know, just trying to get out there where I can. Uh, there's places I'd like to go, PWX in the Carolinas, uh Pro Wrestling Ego. Um I'd like to get out to the Midwest. Um Uh, You know, I I I just want to work. I want to get my name out there. I want to wrestle, and I want, at the end of the day, uh, I want people to say that yeah, Danny only was a good a good kid. He was a good wrestler, and he he benefited wrestling. I I want to be known as more of a benefit than a detriment to wrestling.
1: Well, I I think you're in a good spot for that. I I I hope so. From my perspective, I I can definitely say that.
0: Where uh, where can we follow you online? Uh well, like I said earlier, uh Facebook.com slash human hand grenade for the Danny Only Facebook page. Uh it's not as constantly updated as it was, but once I get back to work and I'm in front of a computer more, uh it'll be more regularly updated. Uh Twitter at Danny Only, D-A-N-Y-O-N-L-Y. Um that I, I try to update, you know, more frequently. Um I still need to, to get my schedule updated. Uh, but for the most part, it's you know APW on Friday, uh, Anarchy on Saturday, or UIW on Saturday. Um, but even then, I mean, you shouldn't go anywhere just to see me. You know, you should support indie wrestling. So I, I guess maybe that's why I'm I haven't been as big on putting my schedule up there. Um, maybe I should. I, I don't know.
1: No, you um, definitely should because that's that's how it works, man. You find you find one guy that you're like, I like that guy. Where's he showing up? And then you go wherever he's showing up, and you're like, Oh, I like this other guy here too. And then yeah, this other you know, guy. man, maybe you're right. I mean, maybe that's you're right, definitely so. put it out there, man.
0: I know there's there's also, you know, uh, like I said, there's guys that can tell you the first match they ever had. And there's guys that can tell you every single match they've had, where it was at, who it was against, what the finish was, and whether they won or lost. I couldn't tell. I couldn't even tell you how many matches I've had in my life. Um, maybe 500. Maybe. I don't know. But I decided that starting now, 2014, uh, I'm going to keep an accurate record of what I've done, where I've gone, who I've done against. Uh, and and try to keep more up to date on it, and not necessarily take it more seriously because I'm always taking wrestling seriously, but just you know, be able to to, to track it better, right, to right. to dictate it better. Um, so yeah, uh, in the in the immediate future, this Friday at APW in Royston, Georgia, Saturday the 11th at Anarchy and Cornelia, uh, next Friday the 17th I will be in Chicago, Illinois for Resistance. And then in the 18th I will be in. Villarica, Rica, Georgia, I think, for UIW, where I'm facing Terry, Joe House, Rocker, Lawler. Uh, and then, let me see, the following week, eh, I don't know, following week, January something, I'll be somewhere. No, I'm not sure off the top of my head. Well,
1: we can but. find out because now we know where to find you online, where to find your schedule
0: to go to the show. Exactly.
1: And see Danny only, Larry at somebody's fucking head off.
0: Exactly, and if you are interested in booking me, uh, Danny Only at Yahoo dot com, D A N Y O N L Y at Yahoo dot com. Subject: Booking or subject: You suck.
1: <laughs> well, awesome. I think that was a good talk, man. What do you think?
0: I love it, man. I, I definitely appreciate it. And anytime you want to do it again, I am. I am here to talk about. whatever. Absolutely.
1: I, I'd, I'd like to have you back on sometime just to talk about nerd shit.
0: It sounds <laughs> good to me, man. Let me know. All
1: right. Thanks a lot, man.
0: All right, buddy. Take care.
1: And there you have it. The Human Hand Grenade, Danny only. Great conversation, interesting stuff about his career, about his life, about his philosophy. Uh, that was really, I don't think I could have asked for any more out of that. Uh, we didn't talk about wrestling as much as I thought we would, uh, even though we talked mostly about wrestling. But uh, it was good times. I, I i could see a part two to that sometime in the future. But I definitely want to have him back for a round table where we talk about something else. Uh, which... Now it's time to talk about the future of Needless Things. Uh, coming up next, I will have Mr. Bo Brown sitting down with me, and we are going to talk about 2013 in Masters of the Universe Classics. We're going to go over all the releases. We're going to talk about Castle Grayskull. We're going to talk about Ram Man. We're going to talk about everything right up to the final release of Plundor, which... Uh, Fuck that thing. Um, In the future beyond that, we will be doing another Toy Fair review in February. Uh, I have got a couple of bands that I'm going to be talking to. I have got, obviously, some creators I'm going to be talking to. I hopefully will be having some very special guests from the ESO network on soon. And I have not even mentioned this to him yet. But uh, my my score for this year, my hope that I will be able to work this out, I'm going to say it right here, right now. Steven Platinum, I want you on the Needless Things podcast. I know you've got shit to talk about, and I want you to do it here. Uh, please remember, iTunes, Stitcher, download the Needless Things podcast, needlessthingssite.com. Uh, as always, I love you guys. Later.